2: Dreams are made of these, who am I to disagree, I traveled the world and the seven seas, everybody's looking for nuggets. Some of them
0: want to use you, some of them want to get used by you, some of them want to abuse you, some of them want to be abused.
2: We've gone too far. We have truly,
0: truly gone too far. (laughs) Welcome, everybody. We are so sorry. Welcome. To your favorite podcast. Is it their favorite now? Still, I don't know. It's Thoughts That Rock, uh, the podcast that is about exchanging two pieces of life-changing advice with incredible introductions that we squeeze into about half an hour.
2: Yeah, and we get it. We know how busy you are. Mm-hmm. Life is coming at you at like 150 miles an hour for some of you and yep. grabbing those little nuggets of wisdom as we talked about to really amp up your life. They're hard to come by, which is why it doesn't really matter what you're doing right now. You might be, I don't know, working through lunch or picking wild blackberries on the side of the road or getting waxed. We just want to be the 30 minutes that you look forward to every week.
0: Thoughts That Rock helps support Cannonball Kids Cancer. It is a fantastic nonprofit. Oh, yeah. Providing options to kids with cancer who've been told that they've run out of options. Uh, CKC helps identify innovative solutions and then provides the funding necessary uh, for the treatment to actually take place. They are literally providing hope to the hopeless. We love them. And because of that, we support them with everything we do.
2: They're so good. And listen, just a quick reminder, whatever format you're listening to the podcast, if you like the show, we would love it. If you would just take a second at the very end of the show to just give us a rating and even better than that, give us a written. And review believe it or not those written comments they do help us get in front of people so that we can help grow the show but even better than that support cannibal kids cancer
0: that's right in the in the words of the great shia labouf La, labouf Whichever do it doesn't really matter shia? i could care less do, it. Do it, <laughs> do it do it jim do it listen uh is whatever we need to do <laughs> For you to do it, Shia LaBeouf doesn't do <laughs> Shia it. Shia LaBeouf, LaBeouf. I know what the sound is, though. You know it when you hear this. It's only one time. Business time. Good lord, it's <laughs> business time. Let's get started. Our guest today is our great friend, Phil Gerbischak, a phenomenal sales speaker and consultant, great industry friend to both Jim and myself. Phil, welcome to Thoughts That Rock.
1: Rock on, guys. It's great to be here.
0: Yeah, great to have you. Phil is the author of five books. His work has been featured everywhere from Wall Street Journal, USA Today, Forbes, Fortune, Inc. Magazine. Jim, he makes us feel like we have accomplished nothing in our lives. Totally (laughs) inadequate right now. (laughs) He hosts his own podcast as well called Conversations with Phil. Mm -hmm. But probably most interesting, his full bio is going to be in the show notes. So I encourage everyone to get in there because he's got such an interesting background. But one of the, if not the most interesting thing, is he is a pinball wizard and uh, you and I both being fans of the pinball genre. How did that come about for yourself there, brother? What, what, what made you such a huge pinball fan?
1: Well, growing up, my mom tended bar at a place uh, in northern Wisconsin, and what would happen is she'd play pinball, but then she'd have to tend bar. So she'd have a great score, and then she'd hand the pinball game off to me so she could go serve customers. And sometimes i play really well, and sometimes not so much. So I grew up playing pinball with my mom, as she was a bartender, she instilled that in myself and my two brothers, and yet today I have a pinball game on my iPhone, and my brother <laughs> out in Seattle actually owns five or six different games, Whoa. and mom's out there right now celebrating my brother's birthday and playing pinball with him.
0: That honestly is got to be one of the coolest growing up mom stories <laughs> ever. You know? That's that's how awesome is it that your mom is a pinball wizard and she chooses to hand down the gauntlet to you. <laughs> it's it's one of those things that gets bestowed upon you. Oh, I got my mother's eyes. Oh yeah, no, my mom was a pinball wizard. <laughs> yes, take that. Sure plays a I mean pinball. Crazy
1: flipper fingers. <laughs> that's
0: right. Flip our fingers. <laughs> we're gonna edit that out. Okay. Uh but beyond different show, that, different, different show. You know, uh versus the traditional interview style uh show that most podcasts do, Phil. You know we do things a little bit different around here, so we're gonna get right yeah. to it. The floor is open. What is your thought that rocks?
1: Thoughts that rock number, number one. Oh, my thought that rocks is something I learned from my buddy Steve Farber. It's three simple words. It's be more you. That's my big thought. Hmm. And that means being me, right? All the time, all fill, all the time. If I was a radio station, it'd be KPHL. And that's <laughs> the most important thing. That's the thing that, that rocks for me.
0: Oh, we love that. Yeah. Where did that, where did that come from? I mean, obviously, Steve, we know Farber gave you that, but like, when were, did that come to you in your life? Were you younger? Were you, you know, in your 20s? Where did that really start to factor into being something that, that you found to be a life changer?
1: Well, in, back in 2006, I had my first big speaking program. It was at a conference called SOBCon, SOBCon for Successful Online Business, Successful and Outstanding Blog. And I was the opening keynote at the first ever SOBCon, and I did 11 really solid minutes. And then I was like, man, it didn't feel great. And of course, I asked my mentor, I asked Farber for some advice. I asked him how it went, and he said, so, all right, so you were in the zone, man, those first 11 minutes, and then you kind of shit the bed. Like, it was bad. Mm. You did not sound good. I'm like, hmm, okay, so, so what's up with that, man? Like, what, what do you think? He said, well, what do you think? Like, how did it feel? And I said, well, the first 11 minutes, you know, I was really kind of in the zone. I felt like myself. And then the last 49 of my 60 minutes, I, I kind of felt like I wasn't. And he said, well, let me state that another way. In the first 11 minutes, you were you. And the last 49, you were being who we thought, who you thought we needed to see, mm. what we needed to hear. And that anybody could have given those last 49 minutes, but the first 11 minutes were the 11 minutes where only you could give it. So your advice, Phil, is to be more you all the time. Everything you do, be more you because that's all you can be. And I said, Farber, that's awesome advice, man. How do I do that? <laughs> yeah. And give me three more words. And these three words are the hardest words that I ever heard, and it was practice practice, practice. Yeah. You know, Michael Port talks about this too, right? We have to get really comfortable, really comfortable in our skin with what we're going to say so that we can riff, so that we can just kind of go off and, and play our own music. And it's really important because if we don't, or right, if we don't practice, if we don't get there and we don't get comfortable with who we are, we're going to get inside our head. And it's really important to get outside our head and into our heart when we're performing, when we're, when we're speaking, when we're, when we're training, when we're coaching, when we're working. Whenever we're doing what we're doing, we have to be more you. So that really changed my life. And it took time. I'm not going to lie to you. It's not like Steve said that. And I was like, oh, cool, dude. I totally got it. I mean, I still have days where I get inside my head and forget about my heart. Sure. And I can tell you that those are the hardest days ever. Those are the hardest speeches ever. Because when I'm, when I'm in my head, I'm thinking about it instead of just being myself.
2: You know it's funny too when you first said those words be more you and I'm I'm I was totally looking at it from a different perspective. I would have thought be more you physically, personality, your identity. You know, I'm thinking of it from a business standpoint, from a training, development, HR standpoint. It's funny to hear your perspective that it's, you know, you're getting this great advice from somebody that you trust and admire, respect. And you also mentioned Michael Port, who actually helps speakers get really, really good. Um, This is a perspective from you in our industry. Like you've got to be yourself when you're on stage. And it just goes along with a lot of the, You know, the unapologetic, authentic self that our friend Amanda Height talks about as well. So it's so funny. I I guess I took it immediately to physical personality. Yours is more about being an authentic self when you're on stage, right?
1: Yeah. Well, absolutely. But that does absolutely manifest itself in how you dress and how you respond. I mean, for me, you know, now that absolutely means, right, my orange glasses. It means my orange tie. I I have, you know, I have orange Lego cufflinks that I often wear. Um, Absolutely. It does manifest itself physically, but it can't manifest itself outside until it manifests itself inside.
2: Yeah. Were, were you always doing that color? I know that you're, that's your jam for sure is the color orange. Or is that part of that transition when, when Steve Farber talked to you about that? Was it 06 that orange became your color? Or were you already there before that?
1: Well, I wasn't there. And actually, I didn't hit orange right away. The first time <laughs> that I had, quote-unquote, cool glasses, they were actually lime green. And they were pretty cool. They've got lime, lime green bows. And I still have them. Fortunately, my prescription hasn't changed. But it took some time until I really kind of leaned into the orange and really felt that because, again, I needed practice to feel comfortable being me. So I transitioned from a pair of really awful glasses to a pair of lime green ones. And from the lime green ones then came birthed the the orange ones uh, that I love now. And I think I've got one, two, I think four different pairs of orange glasses, including the neon orange ones that I'm wearing today and that are in my, uh, in my headshots.
0: Well, Phil, how long was your first prison sentence um, that you found that orange was your color?
1: Um, You know, I really can't talk about that. I'm actually under witness protection, and uh, if I told you anymore, I'd have to kill you. So please don't ask again.
0: Well, listen, I wish you have a good 11 minutes is something I've only heard a few times in my life, but uh, we'll move right beyond that. How did... Well, it took
1: me three three tries, though. Let's be really clear, right? So, you know, to get to 11
0: minutes. So my question is how did it really change your life like how did you start to say this is something that um, is worth my investment to figure out who i am so that i can be that person all the time and how did it actually change your life
1: yeah uh, the really awesome question and how it really really changed my life is that i stopped apologizing for who i am i was a you know at the time i was a vp of it i was speaking some but not a whole lot and I worked for an organization that is very conservative. Like, when I say very conservative, I mean they still expected the men to wear a uh, shirt and tie. They still expected the women to wear pantyhose every day. Uh, they expected that we were going to be uptight. In fact, I had a, a two levels up for me, a chief information officer, that one day I frosted my hair and he actually asked me back in 2006 or 2007. I can't remember exactly when it was. And he said, what are you, some kind of fruit or something when uh-huh. I frosted my hair? And I was like, huh, that's, that's really not a very professional question. But I, I kind of took offense to that. And then I realized, you know what? I a, I don't frost my hair, not because I give a rip what he thinks, yeah. but because it's not me. So I just, I really started leaning into me. So I started out. Just little stuff, little little small acts of rebellion, like you know wearing a colorful tie instead of wearing a plain tie, sure. wearing a colorful shirt instead of a plain shirt, and really speaking my mind and, and telling people what I was most passionate about, so that that started kind of freeing my lips, freeing my heart, freeing my mind to be more me and in two thousand and eight, I actually gave my two year notice in corporate America and quit and then stayed eighteen more months because I just couldn't be me anymore. So it totally transformed my life, that advice and being that every single day that I showed up becoming more and more and more me every day. Well,
0: I think, I mean, knowing you how we know you now, uh, it's literally turned into your brand. I mean, so mm-hmm. you you are your brand and people hire you because you are you uh, and not someone else. You're not following the mold that maybe others have and your techniques of training salespeople to helping people learn how to be better speakers or whatever that is that that you are working with them on. You're getting 100% fill and, and only the way in which you could deliver that content. And so it's actually been incredibly helpful advice in the sense that you've been able to differentiate yourself from the rest of the pack.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you very much. Yeah. I I really appreciate that. It's, it's, you know, but it takes time. I mean, it takes time to be super comfortable, right?
0: It does, you know, and, and I'll say this just because, you know, we've known Phil for a while now and, and, you know, there's certain people that you meet that you see that are, you know, maybe they're, they look like they're trying really hard. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, but when you see Phil, you immediately know that, that this is a cool guy, right? He just, he's got the vibe. He's got the look, he's got the orange glasses. He's got, there's, he's obviously confident, um, in, in what he does, but he's also the person that will drive two and a half hours across yeah. the state to have Great lunch soul. with you. Right. Yeah. Uh, and, and so for me, he hasn't done that for me. He's done that for you. Well, he's done it for me because he loves me more than you. Right. right. But, but beyond that's that, but nobody true. loves me. So I'm used to it. It's well, fine. you know, that's another podcast and it, it is crying. your in your own bowl over there. So, you know, for us, it really comes down to not just necessarily owning who you are, but letting people see that and, and being, Progressive with that. I mean, for us, it's it's one thing for you to say, "Hey, let's let's um, let ourselves out of our of our shell a little bit. Maybe we're going to wear a brighter tie." It's another thing to say, "I'm going to I'm going to drive across the state to meet with somebody that I care about and sit with them for a few hours and see what I can do to help make their life better." And that's what you do on a regular basis for countless countless people. And so we're not just getting. You know, Phil, the consultant. We're getting Phil, the the genuine, authentic man who who loves and cares for the people around him. And we we can't thank you enough for being that person in our lives. We we truly
1: appreciate it. Oh, you're welcome, man. Well, thanks for thanks for receiving it, and 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 which in the way in which it's it's given. So I appreciate that a lot.
2: And again, when when you say countless people, it's not really. I'm not included in that apparently. um you know it does remind me that everybody I, but
1: you actually everybody though, but but I, I appreciate me. you pointing that out.
2: That's actually the name of my next <laughs> yeah. book. Everybody, everybody but, but me, which is yeah. So you know I um I actually write about uh Michelangelo. I know a lot of people know, you know, him as uh, as a painter, you know, he obviously sculpted the uh the statue David, but one of the things that people don't know is that in addition to all this painting that he used to do, he personally will say he's not a sculptor. All he ever did was chip away at all the excess marble of the stone to reveal who is truly inside. And, you know, you were talking about this environment that you've worked in where you had to dress up, you had to act and behave a certain way, very conservative. And, you know, I probably had something like that in my background, but honestly, spending two decades with a brand like Hard Rock, it's it's almost the exact opposite. It's so refreshing to be around people that, you know, really represent your thought of being more you. It allowed people and quite honestly, people would show up at Hard Rock and they were pretty clean cut. They wherever they came from, it may have been conservative, but they were allowed to be and say and do and think and yeah, totally look the way you wanted to. And so it always reminded me of just sort of that sculptor mentality that you wait a year or two down the road and all of a sudden they're all linked up and human pin cushions and, you know, challenging the status quo and being on a first name base with the boss. So, you know, it's funny people come to, you know, the the party in, in different places, but I love the fact that, You're saying regardless of whatever it is you're doing, whether you're on stage or in life or who you're talking with, you know, you don't need to sort of dance around and and be somebody that you're not. You just need to be more you. And I just I, I think that's a fantastic thought.
1: Thanks. Yeah. Well, again, it when you can be your full self, that's when you can perform the best. I mean, the more comfortable you are, the more risks you're willing to take and the more risks you're willing to take, the more innovation happens and the more innovation happens. I mean, that's what drives results. Yeah. You can't think like everybody else. I mean, to, to your point earlier, right? People don't hire me to be like everybody else. They hire me to be me. Well, if I'm not, they're getting gypped. Yeah. So I really have to be conscious of the fact that the more me I can bring to the situation, the more they're getting rewarded. It's not just that it's fun for me, but it's profitable and beneficial for them as well.
2: Yeah, yeah. That's great, man. You know, that's probably a perfect opportunity also for us to sort of transition to our thought, really because, you know, we thought through this. And if you're talking about being you and being more you, you know, hopefully this will be very complimentary to yours. We thought through it long and hard. And and actually this thought is going to be something that Brant talks about quite a bit. And he he talked about it in his book, Rock and Roll With It. Brant, what is our thought that rocks? Thoughts that rock number
0: two. Our thought that rocks is this being original starts with playing your favorite covers and making them your own, you know, spending a few decades in the music <laughs> business and trying to sort of find our sound as a band or as an artist, you know, if people think that at times I think you have to sort of come out of the womb as this, you know, Bob Dylan-esque, I've got all the words and I've got all the melodies and, you know this is this is just i'm completely original and so i don't even listen to music because i i have it all in my head and we've had a few friends that we've heard that from in the past mm-hmm. but but in reality in reality what allows you to become original is similar to chipping away uh, all of that marble to reveal what's underneath yeah you've got to start to play the songs that inspire you you know you you've got to sort of dig in and learn how to play these songs and own them well enough be able to perform them well enough that you can start to make them your own and and I that's a different sort of approach it's not that you know what? I'm not going to take the time to really figure out how this song works. So I'm just going to do my version of it. And it's a, a lazy approach to trying to do a cover. It's actually owning the cover so well that you want to be able to put your spin on it. And that's often what we find, you know, when we first started playing music, you might be at a, coffee shop or at the local bar and you're banging out 40 songs a night trying to cover everybody from you know journey to prince to Skinner and everyone's got their favorite and you're trying to keep up and you're trying to do those songs justice but it's not until you own those songs and can do them well enough that people enjoy them that they will respect you enough to sort of listen to your take on it so that you start to twist the songs a little bit and you start to change the melody a little bit. And maybe you sample a song and you throw in a little chorus of something that you wrote that takes that song to a different place and moves it forward. And it's, it's a really difficult thing to learn because you get nervous that, that people are going to be like, Oh, you just ruined a classic or, Hey, what are you doing? That's, you know, that's sacred ground. You don't take that song and try to make it your own, but it's when you actually get the confidence, yeah, within you to be able to sprinkle in a little bit of you being you into it, that you start to build an audience for your voice and not someone else's. I think
2: that's Phil's story, honestly. I mean, having Agreed. to work and conform and and you know be in a certain environment. Here he is having to play covers, but eventually just enough, right? With Like you said, whether it's a tie or suspenders or a brightly colored shirt, now you're doing a little bit of a mashup. You're starting to add in your own. And now yeah. eventually- It's your brand. You're you're your own voice. I love
0: that. Was there somebody that you looked up to like that, that you said, man, I want to do it like I want to do it as well as they do it, that allowed you to sort of play those covers, if you will, until you developed uh, as an artist yourself to be able to say, I've got something unique to offer the world.
1: Yeah, absolutely. That's funny that you asked that because that absolutely is what happened. And that um, that kind of sabotaged me because I thought I thought I had to do it like they did. So mm-hmm. I focused on Maxwell, John Maxwell, yep. um, Marcus Buckingham, uh, you know, our friend Tim Sanders, yep. and thought that's who I needed to be like. And you know, if if you go back, talk about Tim when Tim wrote Love Is a Killer app and he talked about being a love cat, that totally resonated with me. And I looked at his look. And Tim at the time had cool glasses. He looked like a beatnik from the sixties, like almost like the Beatles. He he kinda had that look and it's fascinating because first of all, I can't grow my hair like that. So that was out. <laughs> and and I'm never gonna be as cool as Tim Sanders. I don't you know, I have to wear prescription glasses and I can never find them as cool as Tim. And I'll never be Tim, and I'll never be Dr. Maxwell, and I'll never be Marcus Buckingham. But I thought I was. In fact, some of my early programs, I would quote them more than I'd quote me. And I really Mm -hmm. thought that's what people wanted to hear, right? I thought they wanted to hear me being Maxwell, me being Sanders, me being Buckingham. And to that point, that's how you ruin a classic is you – Try to be exactly note for note those people that you want to emulate, and that's—I mean, nobody—you can't out-eagle the eagles. You just can't, (laughs) and that doesn't work. That's true. And so, you know, that's that's what—that's I learned, right? I can't be Big Kettle Drum. That's not going to happen. Thank God, right? I mean, Brent, you're probably happy about that, right? (laughs) So, um, but I mean, that's the thing—you can't do that. You cannot do that. And the sooner that you realize that it really is about. Just a couple of notes at first till you get the confidence to riff for a whole bar or a whole paragraph if you're a speaker or a whole article when you're writing a blog post or a whole book, that your first book. I mean, once you find that out and you recognize that, oh, yeah, this does give homage to Michelangelo, but it also is my style, once we realize that we can chip away some of the stuff that makes me sound like Buckingham and makes me sound less like Phil – and now I can lean into being me, well, now I can have, to your point, which you said before, I can have my mashup. I can have my music, and I can play some of that because people trust me enough that I respect Maxwell. I respect Sanders. I respect Buckingham. You know, Steve Farber, another great leadership guy because that's what I got started in. Once I respect those people, I can then throw back to that and quote them without trying to be them. Yeah.
0: Yeah, it's interesting. I find that when you find that courage to start being who you are meant to be and, and your voice is what people are hearing and they're hearing that that original authentic voice, uh, your oove, as we like to call it, your own original voice. Uh, when they hear your oove, uh, and you start to develop fans of your voice, of what you bring to the table, when you go back and talk about those things that inspired you it actually comes from a different perspective and you create new fans for that material <laughs> because of what you've added to it. Uh, you know, we did a years ago on our live record with big kettle drum, uh, we covered a Miley Cyrus song. We did uh, wrecking ball. And, and what? I remember uh, actually Jim was not yes yeah. that night. I remember people sort of with their mouths open, like, what it, are, are they playing Miley Cyrus? Bearded what? men singing Miley Cyrus is awesome, but uh but it allowed us to to bring a version of a song that maybe some people had never heard before and appreciate it for what it was because we were confident enough to do it in our in our style, right? Something that was going to resonate with us and and allow it to come from a different perspective. And I think that I think it's the hardest thing because what. Makes those things easy and popular is that when you are just trying to be someone else, when you were trying to do Maxwell's material or, or, or Marcus's material, you know that people already love that material. You love it. That's why they, uh, they love it. That's why they want to hear it. And, and it gets to this point where it takes a ton of courage and vulnerability to be able to say, if <laughs> I really give my two cents, is anyone going to give a shit or is this something that I should just stick with the hits just stick with the hits. Just play the songs that you know. It's I. It's for me, bands like the Rolling Stones. Mm-hmm. How hard is it for them to be the Rolling Stones today? Because nobody wants to hear a new song from the Rolling Stones. No. Play the hits. Shut up and play the hits. That's why people go to their concerts, and and I think that um, it makes it really really difficult when when you are the person sort of owning a genre or creating a genre that uh, you've owned for 40 years, people just want to hear your best hits. And how have you dealt with that, Phil, as you've become more popular, people want to sort of hear the original Phil. How do you stop from just going back to playing your hits?
1: Well, I think the style is the same. So it sounds recognizable without being the same. And so I'm, you know, the way that I deliver my material, the way that I podcast, the way that I am on stage, the way that I write still very much me, but it's not the same stories, right? The stories are new. Sometimes the lessons are the same, but often, you know, the, the story itself is very different. And the key is to not make it about me and to make it about the audience. Yeah. And if I can be like, basically, I like to feel like I, if I were sitting in the audience, and yes, I want to hear Phil's greatest hits, but what is the audience what serves them the best? That's what they want, really, because whether that's my voice or somebody else's voice, right? They need to know what serves them. So if nothing else, I try to pull lessons out that are still my lessons, the things that I've learned or that I've I've observed in my style, but that serve the audience. And that's really the key. Is that it can't be self-serving. I can't because it'll be real easy to be self-serving because then we do it just for the adulation. We just do it for the applause. And frankly, that doesn't help anybody change. That doesn't help anybody be different. I mean, the reason that some music changes people's lives is not because it's exactly the same as the last one. I mean, Freddie Mercury is a perfect example with the stuff they did with Queen. I mean, Night at the Opera, Day at the Races was such a departure from Killer Queen, such a departure that of course, Those that were selling records thought, there's no way this is going to work. But that transformed and transcended everything we ever thought was true about music. i try to do the same.
2: Yeah. It reminds me, actually, of Bono, who always says constantly, he's looking out in the audience and he could see people that were just at the gig the night before. So even though they've got a set list, if the audience isn't in the state of mind that they needed, he might actually change the set list because he's interested in trying to Soar the new band to, to different heights and take them to a crazy different direction. But he doesn't want people to get the same old, same old formula. That's why all their albums are a little bit different. But literally, his goal is to make it a different experience from just the show the night before. So, you know, in their own way. Now, they've always been you know doing originals as far as we know. But you go back before when the band first started, they all started playing covers. Everybody starts off that way.
1: Yeah, I, you know, for me. Well, I'm, how else do you learn the chords, right? How else do well, you learn it. the chords if you don't have something to practice with? Well, yeah.
0: th- well, that's just it. And what I was just going to say is that it's this idea that y- you have to have something to form your opinions from, right? Uh, I, so you have to. Right. Take in the Maxwell stuff and and the Marcus stuff to know how you feel about it to present a unique perspective on that material. Just like, you know, we have to 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 learn to play. For me, growing up, it was, you know. Bands like Kiss, you know, mm-hmm. I, I remember literally sitting uh, on the floor in the living room with the, you know, the giant Radio Shack headphones listening uh, to rock and roll. Uh, I want to rock and roll all night mm-hmm. um, or Beth, which, which, you know, if you're, if you were a Kiss fan at that moment and, and you listen oh, to, yeah. to Beth, you're going, who, who is this band? Because it's not Kiss. Yeah. They let the drummer sing, and that was the end of the band, really, is what always happens when you let drummers sing. But I'm still a card-carrying <laughs> member of the KISS Army. I like Beth, I'm just going to say. I love Beth, but it was a complete departure, just like, uh, think about Extreme right here's extreme that uh sort of set their their mark in the rock world almost rock opera world in a lot of ways uh, if you listen to to a and all of a sudden they come out with more than words yeah which was a complete departure from the rest of the record but it's the song that everybody loves, still the favorite of yours at karaoke night it is you know Uh, (laughs) or, or, or you know um oh gosh who was the other one i was just thinking of it's you find these bands that oh it's uh, it's Jack and Diane mm. right it's it's camp who who didn't want that song on the record hated that song and it became one of his biggest if not his biggest hit that he's ever had so sometimes those departures um, sort of pigeonhole us but give us that opportunity to actually share our voice in a way that uh, only being original does right I mean that's how that's mm-hmm. how it seems to me at least from from this side of the microphone.
2: This is the biggest music
0: yeah. name drop episode of all time, just so you know.
2: Our show notes are going to be as long it, brand. As
0: it should it be. It should be, right. As it should be. Phil, where can people, well, do you have anything going, first of all, do you have anything going on right now that that people need to know about before we get into how they can stay in touch with you?
1: Well, I would just say, you know, my podcast drops every week. That's probably the best way because I get to talk to a lot of smart people and you both have got to be on the show. It's awesome. It's so much fun because first it starts out on my Facebook page. Mm -hmm. We do live video, totally unedited. I just search, you know, it's facebook.com slash Phil Gerbischak, really easy. Um, Hopefully you guys will link that up in the show notes. But then, you know, everything I work on uh, will flow through the podcast and my website. So if you just go to philgerbyshek.com, G-E-R-B-Y-S-H-A-K, philgerbyshek.com, you'll get everything there. You can connect to me on LinkedIn. I play some on Twitter. I do a little bit of Instagram, a little bit of everything, uh, because I'm a dabbler. You know, I like yeah. to, I like to do other things. So those are probably the biggest things. And then I'm working on a book um, as well about sales that will probably come out in early 2020. Uh, not quite sure yet the exact direction that I'm going. Uh, so stay tuned for that.
2: Awesome. A fifth book just to make us feel a little bit more inadequate. Thank you. you
1: Well, that was, that's that's actually, you guys will be in the dedication (laughs) to losers like Jim and Brian.
2: (laughs) Right. Exactly. Thanks for making
1: me awesome. So when you did
2: the invite to the podcast, you said both of us,
0: that's me included. Well, it's mostly. Yeah. Well, of course. Mostly. Well,
1: you can both take that personally. It's okay. (laughs)
0: I'll let Jim drive the car over to see you and (laughs) then that will be his participation for the day.
1: Oh good. Good driving Miss Daisy. Fantastic. Yes. <laughs> I
0: just want to be able to say home James. That's what I want to be able to say when
2: we <laughs> I will respond. Absolutely. I'm pretty malleable. Hey man, listen, first off, thank you for your thought and for the time and and again, hopefully I think sure. these two thoughts, you know, matched up pretty well. It um very it well. reminds me of the uh, the the Lady Gaga quote, you know, don't ever let a soul in the world tell you that you can't be exactly who you are. And I think being more you but then tying it into you know what Brant was talking about, which is you know you start you know playing these covers, but eventually the goal is you want a voice, you want to be able to play your own original music and have your own oove, your own original voice, and uh, you certainly do that, brother. And we're we're proud to know you, and we we thank you for being on Thoughts at Rock.
1: Oh, thanks. It was great to be here. You guys are awesome.
2: Right, thanks, dude. brother. We'll look forward to seeing you soon. Rock on